That's awesome. Uh, it is uh, our pleasure to be here today. We're really happy we're here last year, uh, last summer, and had a great time here. And so when JB asked if, uh, Pastor JB could ask if we could do it again, we, of course, it was a yes. It was great. Um, I want to start with a story, a story that came from our church uh, two or three years ago, two or three summers ago. We're, we're, a, we're a replanting church, so we're a small church. And if you've ever been part of a smaller church, you know that smaller churches sometimes struggle for, for help and volunteers and even just filling out a, a, a worship team like this awesome team you have here this morning. You guys are very blessed with, a, with some great worshiping team members. Um, so we had, we recruited, uh, my wife, Jamie, she's a teacher at Richmond Christian Secondary. Uh, at the time, she was teaching biblical studies in the high school, and so she spoke to some students and said, this summer, can you be worship missionaries at our church, and can you come and put together a team and, and come and lead us in worship? So one girl volunteered, and she put together a team, and the very night before that she was supposed to come and lead worship, every team member canceled. And her dilemma was that uh, she doesn't play an instrument. She just sings. So she was wondering what to do. How can, how can we uh, lead worship even though we have, have no instruments? We, we have no musicians showing up whatsoever. So she put together these stations of prayer and worship that we as a church would go around to, and at each station we'd pray for different things, worship in different ways, and all the while there was some music uh, going on in the background, some just some canned music. And it was great. It was actually a very powerful time for us as a church. A few days later, maybe a couple of weeks later, I was taken aside by a, a church member. And this church member said to me, I, I was really disappointed that Sunday where uh, that, that team left because we didn't sing at all. And if you don't sing, there's no worship. And she was angry because we worshiped in a way that didn't involve singing, but to her, uh, it wasn't worship because there was no singing. So I want to open up with a question uh, to you that you can actually talk back to me with. And I want to ask you, what is worship. Like you heard what this woman said, if there's no singing, there's no worship. So I'm going to ask you, what is worship? To you, what is worship? You, you can talk back. Service before God. Yes, that is an act of worship, serving God, service before God. Absolutely. What else? Giving God the glory he deserves. Excellent. Anything else? Praising God. Yeah. Anything else? Prayer. Sure. We can worship through prayer. Absolutely. One more. Confession. Absolutely. We, that's, that's an act of worship as well. I know that, that if we were to do a, a, a one sermon on the topic of worship, you could stand, you could be here for hours, which is probably why JB's got a whole a whole series going on on it. Um, we could spend weeks and weeks on the issue of worship. And so today, I don't really want to talk about everything there is to know about worship, but I just want to remind our, I want for us to remind ourselves what worship is and what it is not. And if we go back to that word worship, 
that word that in, for the English in English, the English word for worship is actually it comes from this old old Saxon word that I can't even pronounce, but it's it's better defined in this Saxon word as worthship. Worthship, and what it means is is uh, these these actions that are are motivated by an attitude that that reveres the worth of something or someone. JB said, uh, Pastor JB said, we worship, we, whether we are worshiping God or not, we all worship something. Anything that motivates us to act in a way that reveres the worth of something is an act of worship in one sense. When it comes to the worship of God, the best in all my reading over the years, the best definition that I have come across, this isn't my, these aren't my words, someone else smarter than I said these things, worship of God is to call attention to the glory of God and humble ourselves before him. Worship is to call attention to the glory of God and humble ourselves before him. Notice it doesn't say anything about singing. Now, absolutely, we sing, we can worship through singing. We have been doing that for 20 minutes this morning. For 20 minutes, through our voices and our singing, we have been calling attention to God's glory and humbling ourselves before him. So we have been worshiping God. But actually, it doesn't need music. For some reason now, in the modern church, Often we, when we hear the pastor say, let's worship, we automatically assume he's saying, cue the praise band. But it might not be that, because we don't need praise band to worship. We don't even need to sing in order to worship God. Worship is bigger than singing. It includes singing, but it's bigger than singing. Worship is bigger than Sunday mornings. It includes Sunday morning, but it also includes Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, all the way through to Saturday. Every day of the week, you and I, as followers of Jesus, are called to or, or, or commanded to call attention to the glory of God and humble ourselves before him. When you go to work, I guess not tomorrow because it's a long weekend. So on Tuesday, when you go to work or if you're going to school, when you go to work, you are commanded to call attention to the glory of God and humble yourself before him. You are commanded to worship him on Tuesday. Worship is a way of life. And it comes, we can look at it from uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I... I because it's only one verse, I'm actually going to read it in three different translations. So Romans 12.1 in the ESV. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Or in the NLT, it says it this way. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. 
Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Or one more time in the message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around, life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. So our ordinary life, our sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, can be, should be, our spiritual act of worship. All of your life and my life is lived before the face of God. And so all of life is worship. Or it's called to be worship. In all that we do, whether, whether you are uh, preparing a sermon or you're preparing lunch. Whether you are kneeling to pray or you are kneeling to find a child's toy under the bed. We are to present ourselves as living sacrifices, which is our spiritual worship. Whatever we do is our offering to God. So that includes singing, and it includes Sunday mornings, but it's much, much bigger than that. Whether we realize it or not, whether you realize it or not, everything you do between now and next Sunday morning, the way you work, the way you raise your children, the way you treat your family, the way you treat your enemies, the way you talk, is your offering to God. It's your worship. And in all of these things, we are called to bring attention to the glory of God and humble ourselves before him. So even here on a Sunday morning, our singing, our high fives. I don't think I've high fived as much as I have this morning in the past week. Our singing, our, our greeting, our listening to the sermon, our tithing, they're all our offering to God. In fact, one of the things we do is when we, when we shift from, from, say, singing to tithing, we don't say, okay, we're done worship, now let's tithe. We say, let's continue with our worship by giving our offerings to God. Let's continue with our worship by high-fiving and greeting our neighbor. Let's continue with our worship by listening to the Word of God. All of these things, we are to call attention to the glory of God and humble ourselves before Him. So what does this tell us about worship? Whether we're talking about Sunday or, or Monday, or Tuesday. I think there's three things that we can pull out of this, these verses here, about what worship is and isn't. First thing is worship is an action. It's not a feeling. I love what one of the authors, Marva Dawn, what she said is, is, is like, we, we can sometimes leave a church service and we complain, I didn't get much out of, out of that worship service. And Marva Dawn says, 
So what? It wasn't you we were worshiping, was it? How we feel about worship is actually not the point. Because worship is for God, because we as his creatures owe our creator praise. And so we, if we were to go back to Romans 12, 1 again, we'd see that, that good feelings, they, they, they're a fine byproduct of focusing on Christ in worship. I'm not saying feelings aren't important. I'm just saying they're not the most important thing. They're not the goal. The goal of you coming here on Sunday morning is not to leave feeling good. The goal is for you to leave saying, me, together with my brothers and sisters in Christ, we called attention to the glory of God and we humbled ourselves before him this morning. We are called to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to Christ and the body of Christ on a Sunday morning. Now think about sacrifices in the Old Testament or just sacrifices in general. One thing that's pretty clear, if you were to ask the animal being sacrificed, is being a sacrifice doesn't always feel good. And so if you and I are called to be living sacrifices, that means at times it's not going to feel good. We're going to walk into church maybe on a Sunday morning and we might feel like not worshiping. But God says worship. That's what the word says. It's not about how you and I feel. It's an act of obedience. And sometimes it doesn't feel good. But when we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday... We have worshipped. We have called attention to God's glory and humbled ourselves before him. Whether we feel good about it or not. Being this living sacrifice is our spiritual act of worship. And so worship is an action. It's not a feeling. You can't choose your feelings all the time, but you can choose your actions all the time. No one can make you not worship. So worship is an action, not a feeling. The second thing that we learn about worship is worship is a love affair, not a theory. It's not something that we learn about up here. We go home, you know, maybe we've taken notes or something. We have this fat notebook but our hearts are empty. Worship is a love affair, not a theory. And so we remember that although worship is being a living sacrifice, and that doesn't always feel good, although we call attention to the glory of God and we humble ourselves before him, worship is a love affair because God is madly in love with you. God is is so madly in love with you that Jesus Christ came to the cross 
so that you and I can be in a right relationship with him. That was his sole purpose, was getting you and me into right relationship with the Heavenly Father. And guess what? It didn't feel good. But he did it as an act of love. And so we present our bodies to God as living sacrifices, not because, well, I have to or God will be really mad at me. That's not the heart of God. We do it because it's the only way we can respond to the immense love that God has shown us and the immense grace that he has shown us in the cross. We respond to that with worship. He has done so much for us by sending Jesus Christ that all we can do is call attention to his glory and humble ourselves before him. We worship him. We give our lives over to him as a living sacrifice because he has done so much for you and I in the cross. Our worship is always a response to God's love. God initiates the dance every time. He's the one, I don't know if you guys, uh, when, when I grew up, we had these things in, uh, in, in elementary school called sock hops. I don't know if you know what that is, but they're like dances. And in elementary school, what would happen is all the boys would line up on one side of the gym, and all the girls would line up on the other side of the gym, and then someone would say, okay, boy's choice, and a boy would cross over and ask a girl to dance. And then, oh, it's girl's choice. And then the girl crosses over and asks a boy to dance. But in the love affair with God, it's always God who crosses over and asks you to dance. Always. In fact, it says in Philippians that God is working in you to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He's at work in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him, which means that you and I wouldn't even want to worship if it weren't for God first working in our heart and transforming us and changing us, giving us the desire to do so. God always initiates, and our worship is a response. And so we have this, this idea of a love affair, this, this, this love relationship. And, you know, in Scripture, there's various examples. We have, of course, the, the, the ultimate example, or the penultimate example, I guess, of, of the Song of Songs, the lover and the beloved, and how they express this love back and forth to each other. But there's other love relationships in Scripture. Think of, for example, Esther and King Xerxes. Husband, wife, right? But Esther, when, when, when Mordecai goes and says to Esther, you need to go to King Xerxes and, and talk about the problem that's going on here. What does she say? She says, if I go there and he doesn't want me there, I could be put to death. But she does so anyhow. And so she approaches with this idea of, of, of awe. 
and respect. And so our love affair with God is definitely this, this madly in love kind of thing of, of the beloved and the lover in the song of, in, in song of songs. But there's also a level of awe and respect that we give God. Because he's God. He's the Holy One. And if it weren't for Jesus Christ, if I as an unclean person, just simply because of my own rebellion against God and my own silly decisions and my own brokenness, if I were to appear God without the blood of Christ, I would be consumed. Because, because I cannot stand in the holy presence of God without it changing me. But that's what Jesus and the cross is all about. And so now, when I, when I accept Jesus, when I say, Jesus, what you have done on the cross is enough. I believe that it is enough. You have done everything that needs to be done for me to be in right relationship with God. And when I take that on, when I put myself in Christ, that I take on his identity. And so when God says to Jesus, you are holy and right, he says to me, you stand in Jesus Christ, so you are holy and right as well. Even when I don't act like it, it's still my identity. So there's this unquenchable love and this tremendous awe rolled up into one. And so the key attitude in this love affair for you and I is humility. You and I, we don't worship God to do him a favor. Right? We, we, God doesn't need us to worship him. In fact, we don't even have a right to worship God on our own. He owes us nothing. We worship God because of his immense grace and mercy and love and forgiveness in the cross. So in worship, there, this love affair, there's both, there's both love and respect rolled up into one. So worship is an action, not a feeling. Worship is a love affair, not a theory. And the third one is worship is for our sake, not God's sake. Even though we are worshiping God, God is all in all. There's, there's nothing that you and I can do to add to God's completeness. He doesn't need or require anything from us to, to make him feel better. He doesn't have this divine inferiority complex where he needs us to, to prop him up with our worship. Ascribing worth to God is like giving Bill Gates a dollar, right? It, 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 we can't add to who God is by our worship. There is nothing that I possess that God does not already possess. So why worship at all? Why would we worship? Why, why present our bodies as living sacrifices day by day? Why reflect Jesus in our lives as an act of worship? Not for his sake, but for my sake. God requires worship from us, like I said, not to satisfy this divine inferiority complex, but to help us remember who is carrying whom. When we worship, we remind ourselves that God is carrying me. God is loving me. God is caring for me. God is protecting me. That's what happens when I call attention to his great glory and humble myself before him. 
Worship is an action. It is a love affair. It is for our sake. And the wonderful thing about worship is that the more that we worship God, the more we call attention to his great glory, the more we humble ourselves before him, the more we present our bodies and our actions as living sacrifices, then the more our character is formed to his likeness. God changes us in worship. His spirit, he, he comes and he begins a transformation project, a renovation project. And the more we reflect Jesus day by day. Now in scripture, there are a lot of different examples of worship. And you can think of the Psalms, you can think of where they're, they're calling for, for, for uh, you know, songs and tambourines and clapping of hands and, and all that and the harp and all that kind of stuff. That's all great examples of worship. I just want to quickly, and in a second you're going to actually look one of these up in your, in your Bible, but I just want to quickly give you sort of 10 or 11 unlikely examples of worship in Scripture. Understanding that worship is not about singing per se, but it's about calling attention to the glory of God and humbling ourselves before him in everything that we do. Here are some unlikely examples of worship in Scripture. David and Goliath. Or how about Jesus cleansing the temple when, when he turns over all the tables, crap, you know, makes a whip, drives out all the money changers. Or the widow's offering when she offers, when when she just has those, those two mites, two tiny pennies to offer God. Habakkuk's prayer, from Habakkuk 3, especially verses 17 and 18. Paul and Silas in prison. You read that story, you see them calling attention to the glory of God and humbling themselves before him. Isaiah before God, when Isaiah cries out, Woe is me! A man of unclean lips. David, dancing before the ark as the ark comes into Jerusalem. The woman with the alabaster jar who breaks it and anoints Jesus. The death of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. What an example of worship that is. Mary and Martha before Jesus in Luke chapter 10, where Mary is sitting at his feet and Martha is busy doing her stuff. Or how about the Good Samaritan? They're a person worshiping God through their actions, calling attention to his glory, humbling themselves before him. So if you want to just flip back two slides. One more. Yep. So what I want you to do I'm going to give you three minutes, and I'm just going to read these one more time. I want you to pick one, and I want you to turn to it in your Bibles, and I want you to read it. you got three minutes to read any one of these. So we have David and Goliath. But I just want to give you some examples of non-singing examples of worship. Just to help us understand that worship is more than singing. Worship is more than what we do on a Sunday morning. It's an every day of the week sort of thing. 
It's not just in our devotional time. It's when we're at work, when we're at school, when we're, when we're washing the dishes. It can all be a time where we call attention to God's glory and humble ourselves before him. I just want to close with, even though worship is bigger than Sunday mornings, I just want to talk about Sunday mornings for a second, if that's okay. See, there's, there's a tension that exists today that wasn't there in the New Testament. In the New Testament, if you were a follower of Jesus, and say you lived in, in Corinth or, or in Philippi or Rome, you went to the church because there only was one church. There wasn't all these different churches like we have today. Like here in Richmond, we've got dozens and dozens of churches And nowadays, unlike in the New Testament times, we live in this consumer culture, which translates into church life sometimes. And so often, we will go and we will pick what church we attend based on the way it pleases us. We judge the music. We judge the sermons. And then we decide whether or not we're going to attend. We live in an age and a culture that want to turn the worship of God into a matter of personal taste and time and convenience and comfort. And so we shop for churches based on what we like the most. I have a friend who, who used to attend the church, uh, Lighthouse Church. Good friend. And he doesn't anymore. And the reason so is because he moved. And he has this personal philosophy. He says, wherever I move to, I pick the church that's closest to me, and I go there. He doesn't even check him out beforehand. He just says, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to plug myself in. I'm going to worship and get involved in, in community life. That's amazing. He's been, he's been in, involved in some pretty interesting churches by doing that. I think right now, like we're a Pentecostal church, but right now he's, a, he's attending this very stoic Lutheran church, like about as opposite as you can get, but he's plugging himself in. And so we tend to, in our culture, tend to, to uh, turn our Sunday mornings and our worship of God into our personal taste and our time and our convenience and our comfort. And the problem is that in, in, in some churches, you, ha you find that, that, that it leads the church to think about, well, what, what's going what's gonna to attract the most people? What's going to please the people? What's going to bring the most people here? Instead of saying, what's going to please God? Because that's what, that's what our calling is, right? As the followers of Jesus, is to please God. But we forget that when it comes to worship, we don't have to manufacture something interesting about God. We simply have to express and reflect who God really is, and he will do all the ministry. Because worship on a Sunday morning is not about making things happen. It's about creating an environment where God is free to be God and do what he wants in our hearts. We are not the Holy Spirit. We can't rev up people like, like uh, say, okay, if I do this style or do this or I do that, then, um, then it's going to happen. 
In fact, a bit of a funny story. I don't know if you remember. Oh, I can't remember the guy's name now. He was the he was a person who was uh, he was a pastor of Toronto Airport Fellowship, where uh, about 20 years ago they had this major revival going on there, and he used to go around and speak. And one day he was speaking, and people noticed that when he was praying for people, he was kind of laying hands on people. He wasn't actually touching them. He was just sort of hovering his hand over them, and it was shaking a little bit. And all of a sudden, people started doing that all over the place. They started just not quite touching, but, but touching, like, or not touching, just almost touching, just like he did. And they felt there was some, I don't know, something special or magic about it. And it got back to him, and he started laughing. He said, the only reason I was doing that is because it was like 100 degrees outside, and I had a sweaty hand, and I didn't want to put it on people's backs. I was trying to be polite. But people thought, well, if I do that, or if I, you know, if I raise my hands like that, or like that, or like that, then something better is going to happen. No, it's not about trying to manufacture or make something happen. It's about making space for God to be God. And so we call attention to his glory. We humble ourselves before him and just make the space for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants in our hearts. That's what worship is all about on a Sunday morning. That was why that's, it's a delight to be here. And just to, just to be here and, and let God be God. So although we spend our life often choosing what pleases us, right? We go to the shopping mall. We choose what pleases us. Well, that's my color. That's not my color or whatever. In worship, God calls us to choose first what pleases God. In fact, you don't even come second. We come third. God first, others second, myself third. And so in that case, Sunday mornings are not about me at all. Sunday mornings are not about you. They're about God and about the body of Christ and about us serving God and serving one another. It's not what the community can do for me. It's what I can do for the community. I, you don't come here to, so that the church can do something for you. You come here to serve the body of Christ and worship God. That's being a living sacrifice. Because the body of Christ, the beautiful thing about Christ, is he brings together many people who outside of Jesus probably wouldn't hang out together. Different cultures, different ages different preferences, different styles of music that you listen to at home, probably. And yet, here we are all together, worshiping God as one body. God calls Thrive Church, every church, to be a community together. And that will only work if you put yourself third. If you put yourself second or first, you can't be a community. It will only work if you put yourself third. And so when it comes to Sunday morning, we remember that there's a large cross-section of people here. Different ages, 
different, different music styles. And you know what? I might not like every song that you listen to at home. You might not like every song that I listen to at home. I mean, even my wife Jamie and I can't agree all the time on what's, what music's awesome at home. We have different music preferences. As do you. Even in worship. Even in the, in the music on a Sunday morning. Everyone here is going to have different preferences. Oh, I love this song. Oh, I don't really like that song, but I love this song. But you know what? Part of being a mature follower of Jesus is recognizing that and still worshiping. Honestly, you, you should be able to have just a 10-year-old on a kazoo up here. And when God says, or when pastor says, let's worship, that we can enter into worship. Only you can make the choice to worship or not worship. Nothing else can make that choice for you. Not the song style, not the person you're sitting next to, only you. And so this is going to sound blunt, but I'm going to say it anyhow. If you or I, if we come away from a Sunday morning saying, I didn't get much out of worship today, that's a reflection on you, not on the other people. If I come away saying, I didn't get much out of worship today, that's a reflection on me, not on anyone else. Now, that being said, of course, as, as a church, we want to be culturally relevant to the people we're reaching. And, and you know, it's interesting, like, if all of us were to, to take a plane over to Kenya and worship with an indigenous church in, in Kenya... Uh, we would expect that their worship style would be very different from our own. We may miss the, the songs that we normally sing, but we wouldn't grumble about it because we're in a different culture, and we're worshiping in a way that they love to worship. But you know what? Different cultures aren't just geographical. They're even generational. Like, for example, I don't know if anyone here under 30... Um, I'm sure there's lots of you under 30, but just think about the kind of music that you like, the kind of church style that you like compared to maybe your parents. Or parents of teenagers, think about the difference there. Different styles, different desires, different wants. But if we're going to be a mature body of believers here, we are going to worship no matter what. And if it's a song that comes up that pleases our parents, praise God. And if it's a song that comes up and pleases our kids, praise God. That's awesome. That's why we worship. And that's why we put ourselves third. Because everyone, young and old, yearn for the same thing in worship to call attention to the glory of God and humble ourselves before him. They just express it in different ways. And if we are going to be the body of Christ, not just this narrow age range, but the body of Christ, we need to express our worship in other ways as well. And it's an act of Christian love and an act of Christian maturity to put others before yourself. So let me leave you with this question then. 
When I come to church on Sunday, when I go to work or school on Monday or Tuesday, when I come home from work to my family on Monday night, how will I prepare myself to come before God in worship? How will I call attention to His glory and humble myself before Him? Because it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about calling attention to the glory of God and humbling ourselves before Him. So let's prepare ourselves not just to worship God, but to worship God together.